If you have your Bibles, will you please turn with me to Job 38. We wrap up the Job series here today. The Job reading will continue for a couple more weeks. And um, starting next Sunday, we're going to be kicking off a new series looking at the life of Joseph. And so we kicked off the summer with Job and all the different trials that he walked through, yet watching God still at work in his situation and circumstance. And starting next Sunday for the rest of the summer, we'll be looking in at the life of Joseph. And you'll have a variety of different speakers coming and sharing on that particular account. And um, so we're going to be encouraged uh, by these two individuals, Job and Joseph, here this summer as the Lord uses uh, these accounts to bring encouragement into our life. The message today is entitled, The Grand Finale. And uh, we've gone through this book for a few weeks now, and today we bring everything to a close. And this is the moment where God speaks to Job. Job's been asking for this. He's been wanting to bring his case before the Lord and argue it before the Lord, and he gets this opportunity. And if you remember last week, I mentioned this friend that got it right. He absolutely nailed it, this friend named Elihu. And in Job 36 and then rolling into Job 37, he made a very big deal about God. He, he had some theories as to why Job was suffering, but then he focused in and made a big deal about God. And I applauded Elihu for that. Even though he did get some things wrong initially, he very much got that part right. And him making God a big deal, I think, was also an introduction here into chapter 38 where God speaks. It's almost like Elihu introduced the Lord, and now the Lord is speaking uh, to Job. And we'll pick up here uh, today, and um, I'm going to be walking through a variety of chapters, 38 through 42, and I'll kind of guide us along here. I'll mention the verses that I'm going through. Now, before we get into the Word, let us pray and ask the Lord's blessing over this time together. Father, I thank you for this time spent in your Word. I thank you for the account, the story here of Job the things that, that he experienced, the things that he went through, and also to see, Lord, we have the perspective to see how this story ends. And we thank you, Lord, for how you were still at work in Job's life through the midst of heartache and pain, struggle. Lord, and that is something that we can hold on to, that whenever we walk through trials of any kind, we can trust you. And know that you are faithful, and that you are good, and that you are always up to something. As we bring this series to a close, I ask for your anointing upon our time here in the Word. And Father, I ask for a blessing over our children's ministry. Bless their time in the Word and growing in Christ. And bless the volunteers as they lead. Please guide them today by your Spirit. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Elihu makes a big deal out of God, and then in Job 38 through 39, God speaks. So we're going to focus in here on these two chapters. So if you're at Job 38, right away in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. And let's walk through some of the things 
the Lord says. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Wow, what a way to kick it off right there, huh? God says to Job, brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness. For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? Verse 16, have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this, for you were born before it was created, and you are so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. Where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? Who created a channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid out the path for the lightning? Who makes the rain fall on barren land in a desert where no one lives? Who sends rain to satisfy the parched ground and make the tender grass spring up? Verse 33. Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind who is wise enough to count all the clouds who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the parched ground is dry and the soil has hardened into clods and God goes on and on and then in chapter 39 he begins to speak about different animals and how he cares for them and the different characteristics of of how they operate in God at work and I just sit here and I think I wonder what Job is thinking right about now you know, he, he's kind of probably going, oh, snap. And Job sort of got himself into this because you see in Job 13, verse 3, towards the end of that verse, this is what Job says. I desire to argue my case with God. And that is what he's getting and you'll notice that verse here on the screen, Job 13, 3b. I desire to argue my case 
with God. And then the Lord says to Job, he asks him this question after God speaks to Job. He goes, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? And he says, you are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Well, then Job decides to speak. And this is what he says here in verses 3 through 5. He says, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? He says, I'll cover my mouth with my hand. And then in verse 5 here, I have said too much already, and I have nothing more to say. Perspective now. Job is going, God is way bigger than me, than my circumstance, than my feelings about my circumstance. God is so much bigger. He, and I don't really want to speak anymore. I, I'm done. You've, you've put things in perspective. Well, God wasn't done. God decides he's going to speak again. And so in Job 40 through 41... We see it again, Job 40, verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. And he said, brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. And Job's probably thinking, okay, I said I was done. But God's going to ask some more questions. So in Job 40, verse 8, he says, will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove that you are right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? He says, all right, put on your glory and splendor, your honor and your majesty. Give vent to your anger. Let it overflow against the proud. Humiliate the proud with a, a glance and walk on the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust. Imprison them in the world of the dead. In verse 14, then even I would praise you, for your own strength would save you. And then God goes on to describe a couple of massive creatures that he's created. And the first creature here in Job 40, verses 15 through 24, God calls it behemoth. We're going to talk a little dinosaurs here this morning. God says, take a look at behemoth, which I made, just as I made you. See its powerful loins and the muscles of its belly. Its tail is as strong as a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are knit tightly together. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are bars of iron. It is a prime example of God's handiwork, and only its creator can threaten it. And so God describes this creature that is just massive, so massive, that only the Lord is the one who can mess with this creature, can actually pose a threat. Then he goes on to describe this creature called Leviathan. This is in chapter 41. And this entire chapter, 41, is about this creature. And God is describing this 
in verse 1. It says, can you catch Leviathan with a hook or put a nose around its jaw? Then jump with me to verse 12. God says, I want to emphasize Leviathan's limbs and its enormous strength and graceful form. Who can strip off its hide and who can penetrate its double layer of armor? Who could pry open its jaws? For its teeth are terrible. The scales on its back are like rows of shields tightly sealed together. And each scale sticks tight to the next They interlock and cannot be penetrated. That's verse 17. Now here's an interesting little add-on with this fierce creature, starting in verse 18. When it sneezes, it flashes light. Its eyes are like the red of dawn. Lightning leaps from its mouth. Flames of fire flash out. What a pet right there. Sign me up, right? could scare away a lot of the neighbor kids with that thing, right? It says, smoke steams from its nostrils like steam from a a pot that's heated over burning rushes. And its breath would kindle coals for flames shoot from its mouth. The tremendous strength in Leviathan's neck strikes terror wherever it goes. Its flesh is hard and firm and cannot be penetrated. Verse 25, when it rises, the mighty are afraid gripped by terror. Verse 30, its belly is covered with scales as sharp as glass. It plows up the ground as it drags through the mud. Leviathan makes the water boil with its commotion. It stirs the depths like a pot of ointment. Verse 33, nothing on earth is its equal. No other creature so fearless. Of all the creatures, it is the proudest. It is the king of the beasts. And God describes these massive creatures that that he's created and it kind of again keeps putting things in perspective. Job, look how big I am. And I just want to stop the car for a second because if you're like there were dinosaurs on the screen, I want to just take a moment to talk through that and just tell you my personal conviction about dinosaurs, I believe they coexisted with mankind. And I'm going to walk you through why I believe that. I believe that they coexisted together, especially before the flood that came and uh, Noah and his family built the ark and they were saved through that. And I believe that they loaded the ark full of little baby dinosaurs and And I think the reason why they're extinct is because following the flood, there was an ice age for a few hundred years. Plus, mankind then was hunting these kinds of creatures, and therefore they are extinct. There's nothing in the creation account that would argue otherwise, that dinosaurs and humans could not have coexisted. So in Genesis 1, verse 29... When God is speaking to mankind, right after he created them, he says this, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, and they will be yours for food. I think at creation, mankind ate plants. And I'll show you why. And I think that all the beasts 
ate plants as well. Verse 30. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. That's why I believe that, because that's what the Bible says. So I think mankind and animals ate plants. And then it says, and it was so. Of course, then we know as we work through Genesis, we get to the point where Noah builds this ark, and then this massive flood comes. And then in Genesis 9, if you're tracking with me here, go to Genesis 9. Genesis 9 and verse 1, God gives a blessing to Noah and his family, and then he has a little something to say that's going to shift the way they've been eating, not just humans, but also the animals. So Genesis 9, verse 1, it says, God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Then in verse 2, The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky and on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. At that moment, God put the fear of man into the beasts, into the sea creatures. And God also says they're given into your hands. Then verse 3, everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. That's why my perspective is that way. Animals are now on the table, so to speak, and mankind is now hunting. And thinking about these massive creatures that are being described to Job and considering the fact that this conversation that God is having with Job is a post-flood conversation. And the reason why I believe it's a post-flood conversation, if you remember back in week one, I said that in the book of Job, when Job is speaking, one, he references Adam, so he knows about Adam and, and creation, and he also mentions the flood. So he, he is post-flood as he's having this conversation with the Lord and it appears that mankind may have tried or had maybe thought about hunting or taming these kinds of creatures. Because in Job 40, verse 24, this is what God says about behemoth. And if you go back as I'm reading this on the slide, just so we can see behemoth, it says, No one can catch it off guard or put a ring in its nose and lead it away. Yeah, good luck with that. You know, you just want to come down here for a second so I can clamp this thing into your nostrils and then walk you like a dog. I don't think so. Okay, then back to Leviathan in verse 26 of chapter 41. It says, no sword can stop it. No spear, dart, or javelin. Verse 28, arrows cannot make it flee. Stones shot from a sling are like bits of grass. Verse 29, clubs are like a blade of grass, and it laughs at the swish of javelins. I see some attempts there, or the thought of trying to hunt a creature like that. 
And all that to be said, we kind of stopped the car there just for a, a sort of a biblical worldview moment, which I think is important as we are going through the scriptures. But let's get back now into the point of what God was saying to Job. And I think he puts everything in perspective as how big Job's God is. And Job just gets to a point where he surrenders. And you see that in the final chapter here in Job 42. And I'm going to read this chapter to you as well. Job replies to the Lord and he says, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. Job resolves that in his heart and he says, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? He he said, Lord, you asked that question. And here's the answer. He goes, it is I. And I was talking about things that I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. Verse 4. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. And then here's Job's response to that. Verse 5. He says, I'd only heard about you before. But now I've seen you with my own eyes. Then he says this in verse 6, I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Job just surrenders it. And the, the questions he had about his circumstances, as hard and as difficult as it was, he, he lost all of this stuff. He, he lost his kids. He was just in agony and pain with everything that was going on with his body. And and he has questions. And then when he gets that moment and the Lord begins to speak to him, Job's like, you know what? My God is so big, my troubles are very small. And if you remember, I mentioned that these friends... They had some counsel. They were trying to basically reason with Job why he was suffering. And he's obviously got some sin issue. And Elihu comes into the picture. And and I applaud Elihu because he made a big deal out of our God. But Job, it's almost like he just needed that moment with the Lord to just say, you know what? I'm okay. And there's a sense of peace that he has, knowing that no matter what he's going through, to know that he has a very big God seemed to really help. Well, this chapter carries on here, and and we see a picture of the gospel in about two to three verses here. As Job had, had surrendered, now you, you have this moment where God then blesses Job and he speaks to him. And there's a few things here initially before we see how the Lord blessed him. But in verse 7, he says, After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, He says, I'm angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So, verse 8. Take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. 
And my servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. And I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Let's just pause for a second there with verse 8, because that to me is where you can see the gospel clearly. God tells these three friends, my servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. That will satisfy this anger, this wrath that God has against them. Can you see the gospel here in this moment? Job is acting as their mediator. God's anger is burning against them, and Job is going to pray for them and offer sacrifice for them. This is also something he appears to do on behalf of his kids very early on in the book of Job. But for these friends, this man that they had condemned as a sinner was now going to be their intermediary. And the one who cried out for a mediator in chapter 9, Job, he was now becoming one on behalf of his friends. A picture of the gospel, just like Jesus is our mediator. The wrath of God burns against sin and must be settled in some way. And so Jesus, he went to the cross to pay the penalty and the price for that sin. And so he acts as the mediator. And that wrath is taken out on Jesus. And we can settle the issue of that wrath against our sin by coming to faith in Jesus Christ and receiving the free gift of salvation. Verse 9, it says that Eliaphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nehemathite did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now, when I'm reading this, I know there was three friends that came immediately and they were with them for seven days and then they begin this dialogue. And then remember, a fourth friend shows up by the name of Elihu and he didn't necessarily get everything right either when he was counseling with Job, but he did get that one thing right where he made a really big deal out of God. And so as God's anger is burning against these friends, why is it just the three friends and not the four? What about Elihu? He got it wrong at one point. My personal theory here is because it's he made a big deal out of God. That's just my personal theory. I don't have specific verses that say, and God didn't mention Elihu because he made a big deal out of me. Okay? I don't know that for sure. But I do think it's interesting that only three out of the four had God's anger burning against them, and Job was to make these sacrifices for just the three. And so let that be a moment for all of us as we try to be friends with other people who are maybe going through some things. Instead of trying to figure it all out, let us be friends that make a big deal out of God. Clearly, that's a great way to respond to people who are struggling. Hey, I know you're going through it, and I'm sorry. 
And I wish I could change that for you. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you about God. And I'm going to pray for you. Because I know the big God that we have does things when people pray. That's how we can respond as friends. So then here at the end, you see the Lord blessing Job. Verses 10 through 17. says, When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials that the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. And he named his first daughter Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Havoc. And in all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job. And their father put them into his will along with their brothers. And Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man who had lived a long and full life. Doesn't it just feel good to read that part? I mean, we've been going through it all month long, and now we get to that point where, you know, God has been up to something, and Job didn't see it, and now we get to see it. It's like, wow. God is faithful. Look at this. I want to make a point here that in verse 10, Before the floodgates open of blessing, it says that when Job prayed for his friends, this is verse 10 of chapter 42. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. And one question I had here is this. What would have happened if Job decided not to pray for these friends? You know, they really kicked me while I was down. And now God wants me to pray for them. He wants me to intercede for them. <laughs> Don't think so. You know, they, they kicked me while I'm down. And so my application point with that is be willing to give grace to those who get it wrong. And don't let the wounds of others prevent you from experiencing God's blessings. I also want to draw out verse 14. As your pastor, I'm being serious about this. I almost skipped reading 14 because I'm like, these are some names that I'm going to mess up when I read them, right? So I'll just skip over that. And then I got convicted. Well, if their names are in here, there's a reason Why would they specifically mention these three daughters and their names at the very end? And so I'm like, because their names have meaning. 
And so I'm looking up the names here of Jemima, Keziah, and Karen Hapik. Common names, right? Jemima's name means dove, a symbol of peace and hope. Keziah's name means restored to the heart of God. And Karen Hapik? Just kind of chuckle with that name. But it gets serious. That name means child of beauty. And look at a picture here of how God takes a mess of life and he turns it into something beautiful. Let those three names and the meaning of those names speak to each of our lives and our circumstances that there is peace and there is hope in Christ And he will restore. God is a God of restoration. And he does turn things that are ugly and a struggle into something beautiful. And here's the verse, Job 23.10. God knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. What a beautiful ending to the story of Job. You know, early on in this series, I sensed the Lord speak a modern-day Job story to my heart. And I want to share this story with you here, starting with uh, this video. So would you please turn your attention uh, to the screen. All week we've been reporting on Tuesday's EF2 tornado that hit Pocahontas County near the town of Palmer. As soon as it hit, Iowans were already out cleaning up. And today crews were busy picking up more debris strewn through farm fields for miles and miles. This crew also included members of the Iowa Central rugby team. They found all kinds of stuff, including tree branches and roof shingles. But for some, the recovery from the tornado will take more time. WHO 13's Roger Riley talked to one family who lost everything. Hi, Roger. Hey, uh, Janae, you know, I'm here on the John and Gloria Aiden farm, which is uh, east of Palmer aways. And they took a direct hit uh, Tuesday night. Uh, the storm took their house and buildings, and today they shared their story with me. We were, he was kind of watching the weather, and normally he doesn't come in from the machine shed until uh, 7 o'clock or 7.30, and he came in and he says, it's feeling funny out there. And he has Parkinson's, so he moves kind of slow. So anyway, he came in at 5, and we were just kind of watching the weather. He was, I would come to the house at 5 o'clock. I never come to the house that early. And uh, I kept telling Gloria, we've got to watch out for something. Uh, we really didn't hear anything down there. And then uh, we heard a clunk. <laughs> a blink clunk, like it was like tearing wood or something. And that was about it. And then it was fine. And then I went towards the living room, and I said, oh, our two big windows are out. And then about that time, here comes... Two people coming into our house and say, are you okay? And it was storm chasers. And I says, my goodness. And so we're Christians and the Lord's been taking care of us. Our son died of cancer a year ago. So anyway, that everything's been changing anyway all year long. God is faithful and he's always, he knows the whole story. And he is awesome to us and our awesome neighbors. And we have so many friends that are 
that are doing an awesome thing. And another thing Gloria told me that uh, she came up from the basement startled to find two strangers in the house. Just basically they were checking on her to make sure they were okay. The first thing she did, ask them if they want some cookies. They didn't have time, they were storm chasers, but I thought that was kind of summed up this family that her first thought was to, you know, welcome strangers. Yeah, they don't get much nicer than Gloria, that's for yeah. sure. All right, yeah, thanks a lot, you bet. Well, thank you to John and Gloria for being willing to share a little bit of your story. Uh, I want to read to you a little bit of a letter here that Gloria wrote. I asked her to, to put something together to express some of the things that they've experienced over the last few years. Gloria says, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Russ asked us if we would want to share our testimony. And when we said yes, um, we felt that way because there's so many things in Job that we can relate to. She says, I've often thought when I read 1 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7, who wants troubles in the first place? So in verse 3, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. And when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. And even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. And then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort that God gives us. And then Gloria says, that is so true. God's word supplies the answers. And he does what he says he will do, whether you believe it or not. In Ecclesiastes 1.9, it says there's nothing new under the sun. And our world has changed so much in the last five years, but we know God is not surprised. There was a scripture that had been posted on our refrigerator for I don't know how many years, and it was Psalm 112, verse 7. And it says, They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. In October 2018, our son Jim called, and he had been to the doctor and was diagnosed with cancer. Bad news. As many of you know, you have many ups and downs as you're going through treatments, doctor visits, and test results. Years before, after John got saved, he knelt down by the bed and gave our children to the Lord to do what he wanted to do with them. Well, after Jim got cancer, John knelt down again and told God that he knew that Jim was in God's care and in God's will. Well, during Jim's illness, he shared and he prayed with doctors and, and friends and neighbors and also with us as a family. And we lost Jim on April 28, 2021. Well, during this time, I emailed our kids pretty much every day with what I had learned in my devotions for that day. Scriptures were my rock. 
Jim's passing changed our world as he was one to take over our farming operation and we were not able to keep farming. Well, a year later, on April 12, 2022, our home and our buildings were destroyed by a tornado. We would have lived there for 60 years that fall. Also, another building site close to us was destroyed. And since all of this, we've lived in a house on our daughter's acreage. That would be Jeannie and her husband, Troy. Well, then comes our next saga. On May 25th, John fell and partially broke his hip, probably because of his Parkinson's. He had surgery in Spencer and spent time in the hospital in Pocahontas. And he came home and was doing great getting around. Well, then he fell again and completely broke this same hip on August 21st. And he had to have a total hip replacement. Well, shortly after that, we had planned for a farm sale on September 1st. And we had to have this sale on our other building site as there was no room at the home acreage. That was still all a mess from the tornado. Our girls went and got their dad so he could follow the auctioneer around the sale and then head back to the hospital for more rehab. And about a week later, on September 7th, I went to the hospital to see John, and he said he hadn't been feeling good that day. Well, they did some tests and found out he had a perforated bowel and his stomach was pushing against his lung. The ambulance took him to Iowa City that night and got there at 7.30 a.m. and started surgery an hour later, which lasted eight hours with two sets of surgeons. Well, he was there for about four weeks, and he came back to the Pocahontas Hospital for rehab and is now living in Arlington Place in Pocahontas. Whenever his doctors see him, they tell him he shouldn't be alive. We know that only God can give you the peace and contentment during challenging times. He has done that for us. We don't even understand it, but his word says it. And in John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. One of my favorite passages is Joshua 1.9, which says, This is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And in Psalm 37, verses 23 through 24, the Bible says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly, and he delights in every detail of their lives. And though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. And also in Psalm 71, verse 18, it says, Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. And Gloria says, Our work is not done. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And how blessed we are to know Jesus. There's a song I've sang for years and still blesses me to this day, and the song is entitled, 
he's been faithful. And it's based on 2 Timothy 2.13. And it says, if we are unfaithful, God remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And the song goes like this. In moments of fear, through every pain and every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. When my strength is all gone, when my heart had no song, still in love he's proved faithful to me. Every word he has promised is true. What I thought was impossible, I've seen my God do. And the chorus says he's been faithful, faithful to me. Looking back, his love and mercy I see. Though in my heart I have questioned, even failed to believe, but he's been faithful, faithful to me. Verse 2 says, when my heart looked away, the many times I could not pray, still my God, he was faithful to me. The days I spent so selfishly reaching out for what pleased me, even then God was faithful to me. And every time I come back to him, he is waiting with open arms, and I see once again, and the chorus repeated, he's been faithful, faithful to me. And looking back, his love and mercy I see. Though in my heart I have questioned, even failed to believe, but he's been faithful, faithful, faithful to me. Thank you, John and Gloria, for sharing your testimony. morning I got an email from Gloria that said don't make us out to be like we're special or something you know (laughs) but you guys are special you're special to God and you're special to us and you've got three amazing daughters just like Job and I don't know what their names mean (laughs) I'm sure they're wonderful But Julie, Jeannie, and Amy, I just want to read something on behalf of your three daughters. It says, watching our parents walk through these last several years, and especially the last few, has brought about many emotions, from heartbreaking to inspiring. Walking through it with them has made us admire them all the more. Being grounded in the word is something that was and is a priority in their walk with Christ. And because of this, it has set a strong anchor that when the storms blow through, both figuratively and literally, that anchor will hold. Mom frequently shares that it is overwhelming and there is no normal. So many decisions and then more changes. But God has a plan. One thing they've continued to say and always have through every situation is questions like this. You just wonder what God is up to. God must be up to something wonderful. What exciting thing is God trying to show us through this? 
The years of building their foundation in the word and seeking the Lord has proven to be such a blessing. And having relationships with other believers to hold them up in the midst of life has been a blessing as well. The Lord is so good in giving us examples of those who came before us and how they walked through life and hardships. We know we're biased, but in all honesty, it just doesn't seem fair. Mom and dad have tried to live their lives in the way the Lord would ask. Now, they're not perfect, but they make their best effort to be obedient. They have lived modestly, given generously. They've served faithfully and prayed and believed and claimed his promises mightily. And you kind of think with all of this, it just doesn't exactly make sense. But then we have those amazing examples of Job and Joseph, and the fact that you brought those two out in the midst of our summer series, I think that's the Lord speaking to us as a congregation. And others in the Bible who are pillars in our faith and history. Things didn't look right at all for them or fair, but they stayed the course, and God has a plan. God is faithful, and God is good. These pillars in the Bible seem so big and larger than life, but we're reminded that they're just normal people doing their best and trusting the God they knew who was writing their story. We are so thankful for those who have gone before us as examples, and we are so thankful for parents who have been pillars to us and our families. They aren't perfect, but their steadfast faith and faithful walk, no matter the circumstances, are a real-life, current-day example of what it means to walk the talk. I've not heard mom or dad question God except to wonder the neat things that he's up to and to express that he is so good to them and so faithful, and they've been and continue to be blessed. They are also very, very thankful. God does have a plan, and mom and dad are part of his story, history. And his stories always end in happily ever afters. And we know this story ends up with an amazing ending. It's just all the excitement that happens in the middle of the journey. And they're hanging on to the foundation that they've built their life upon. And you can't get any stronger than that foundation. So thank you on behalf of the girls. You know, for me personally... It was back in September when we were in the hospital in Pocahontas, and to some degree, we were saying our goodbyes to John. And then John gets rushed down to Iowa City, and surgeries are happening. It's just been a whirlwind thing. And John, I am so thankful for you and that you're here today. And as this testimony is being shared, you get to be able to just experience the grace of the Lord through this testimony. And I also remember being in John and Gloria's driveway, sitting with them in the pickup, literally within like an hour after their house had been completely destroyed and their acreage just in ruins. And John mentioned this while we were sitting together. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, we thank you 
that you are always at work in our lives. We thank you for John and Gloria and the entire Aiden family. And Lord, the testimony of your faithfulness, your goodness. And Lord, for the gratitude that they've had even in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances. Lord, let their testimony be an encouragement to anyone listening today that is going through a difficult time. Whatever might be on each heart and each life, let us be reminded of your promises. Let us be reminded of your goodness. And Lord, to trust you. Lord, I ask for your grace over each and every person listening right now. May we trust you no matter the circumstances of life. If there's someone listening right now that you consider your life and we talked about needing a mediator, Jesus Christ, to redeem your life, I can tell you right now, as you go through life, having Jesus and the reality of of his presence with you when you walk through life, it makes all the difference. And if you desire to receive Christ today, I want you to pray with me. Pray with me in your heart and just simply say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm asking that you would be my Lord and Savior. I come to you a sinner in need of forgiveness. So please forgive me. Please cleanse me from my sin and cover me with your righteousness. And I thank you for this gift of salvation. I receive it today by grace through faith in Christ. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.